from the jump, so at the very beginning of this, I uh, want to make the statement again that we unapologetically want to see men, women, and children grow up in their faith. We want to see more mature apprentices of Jesus develop through what we do here with Missio Day communities, scattered throughout our Missio communities, in our kids' discipleship, in the different uh, ministry opportunities that there are, the different learning labs that we have, the different trainings. All of those are meant to come together to help us as a church grow up, to mature, to develop. And we said last week, uh, we taught once, and then I said, hey, if we have questions, we'll do part two. If we don't, then we'll just roll on to the next one. And there was enough questions that came in that I'm going to answer some of those. That'll be the structure for today. And we'll try to get through the questions that I've uh, put ours in the categories of. Um, if you didn't hear part one last week, it's online. You can listen to it. That's a ton of time in the Bible and working through that God wants us to grow up. We looked at Colossians 1 where Paul said his goal for the church in Colossae was that they would know how incredible God is, how incredible Jesus is, how he stands supreme above it all. Uh, we want to mature up into that into him and have the fullness of him. And he says, that's what I'm striving to do with all the energy that the spirit gives me is I'm pressing on to see the church mature, to grow up. And we say this is a normal thing in any biological being, uh, be it a plant or a human. And so I was going to take uh, baby pictures of me and let you see me uh, grow up and be like, hey, can you tell who this is? And then I scrolled through my camera roll and I didn't have any. Apparently, I don't have childhood photos in a digital form. I was before that. But luckily, uh, my children are in a different case. And oh, So to be fair, there's, there's, it's understandable that you can tell me that this is what, not who, what? A baby, right? We're not talking cartoons. We're not talking plants. We're not talking dogs. We're not talking cats. Uh, this is the very beginning of a human being. A few days old, little Kenzie, uh, which may not look fully like that, though you're like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Caden and Kenzie sometimes argue which baby pictures which because uh, the blankets are very similar. Shocking. We did the same blankets twice, um, but the children are different. But as a, a child gets older, you start to see a little bit more of their personality come out. You see their facial features start to shift, their bodies, their hair, all those things, right, start to develop a little bit more and more to when you get to a place where it's like, oh, that is a little human, that is a little one, but I can see almost the full range of that blush, the smile, the twinkle in the eyes, the mischievousness, the snacking, all in one photo. And like, I see where you're going come and we recognize and we realize that human beings grow up and mature. And what was there in uh, kernel or seed form in the beginning is what's cultivated throughout life. And healthy humans, their bodies, their emotions, their minds, all develop as they grow. There are unhealthy humans where one of those things may not develop, but we don't look at that and say, that's what we're aiming at. Uh, we look at that and pray for restoration, or we equip, or we train. Uh, there's an idea that an infant child, the expectation and the dream and the hope is that they grow up to maturity. Paul says, that's the exact thing that I want to happen with you as apprentices of Jesus and you as a church. So you personally, 
and y'all as missio. His desire, our desire, is for what's here in kernel and seed form, maybe a little raw, maybe undeveloped, maybe a little impetuous at times, to be cultivated to maturity. The practice of growing for missio is that we take responsibility to work with the Spirit as he matures us as followers of Jesus. And this is a process. It's not an event. Your rescue to Jesus, your new life, your forgiveness, that was an event that took place and you were made right before God. You were given grace and you were rescued. You were adopted into God's family and that took place in an event. The process of growing up into maturity takes your lifetime and then some. We grow. And so we have a few different questions that I'm just going to put up on the board, and then I'll walk through them a little bit to do it. Um, The first question that came around this was, what practices have you seen help people continue growing? And so the the idea between this was like, hey, we talked and touched briefly on the fact that we cooperate with the Spirit and what He's doing as we mature and as we grow up, but are there things that you've seen people be able to do Uh, that helps them continue to stay in that place of growing, which I think is a really, really important question. Uh, And I think there's something, one thing to take note of is how have you experienced the Spirit growing you in the past? Because uh, he often does it slightly different with each of us and uses different means. So to pay attention to that, but also recognize that in hearing the stories of others, we can often find new ways of experiencing God or enjoying his presence and being formed by him in ways that we never even considered before. And so that's just a really simple note that I'd love to give you. The first thing, I'll walk through some of these. Uh, The simplest answer, the answer of just looking at historic church disciplines. So over time, uh, the church has practiced enjoying the presence of God and drawing themselves into God's presence and different ways of prayer and means of being with God over time, that there's a wealth of information that we can learn from. If you came from a certain tradition, you've probably learned a handful of practices that your tradition liked. So if you're a part of Missio, there's certain ones that you got there. If this is your whole Christian experience, you've learned certain practices from us. If you grew up Baptist, you probably have a different handful. If you grew up a Pentecostal, you probably have a different handful. If you grew up Catholic, you have a different handful. Uh, but oftentimes, different lanes of Christianity or different belief systems have different practices they implement and enforce lightly, gently, and communally uh, to help people enjoy God's presence. But there's a lot out there. And so uh, one of the more helpful resources that I've found is this really simple spiritual disciplines handbook, which is literally two pages of every book of this, of every chapter of this is a different practice. So it's a lot, it's really, really enjoyable. Uh, It's something to look at. You can get it off Amazon or you can come up and you could screenshot a page or two and be like, I'm going to try that one. I would love for you to enjoy that and just look through that. And you'll find different things in there that help you do the one end goal of abiding in Christ. So John 15 says, Jesus says this, right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Those kind of branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. They're useless. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And if that sounds exhausting, it's the same Jesus who also said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke or my way of life upon you and learn from me. 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the, the practices that we look into to say, how do we continue growing in these things? Uh, there's just some historical ones, right? So many times people do without something, primarily food often, uh, though we've taken that a myriad of different ways, like entertainment uh, or media or putting away internet usage when I'm not at work. There's lots of ways that people have practiced fasting. But the idea is uh, of withholding something or doing without to raise your awareness of your neediness for God. And food's the quickest way to that, right? Because if you miss one meal, you start to get hangry. Uh, and then you recognize that over time, you actually are in control of your body. Uh, your body doesn't control you. And there's a, a beauty that develops through that. The point of fasting in the church was always to recognize that I can do without this. My body is weak. It has cravings. It draws me into things. But through my will, I can actually deny that and focus on something else that is more. And that is a muscle that is really hard for us in America to exercise because we like to have immediate gratification. And this is a practice that keeps us in awareness of God's strength and might and provision and not ours. Or even thinking through prayer or meditation, the practices of giving, of scripture reading, taking a Sabbath, 24 hours, one day out of seven, where rest and worship is the goal, is a game changer. Uh, not just because it makes you more profitable the other six days that's not the point of sabbath but because you get to be with god in a day that he's carved out to be with you and has since creation other practices like taking communion regularly uh, practicing simplicity studying scripture memorizing scripture uh, implementing retreats in your life where you go away from the space that you call every day to be present with god and attentive to him in new ways one that's not talked about, that's my favorite one that I always recommend for people. Uh, Matthew, a few months ago, asked me what spiritual practices I'd recommend. And the first one I almost always recommend to people is to start walking without your phone. So to carve out 20 minutes to walk and be with God is like the first spiritual practice I encourage many people to do. And without the phone, it can be really, really hard. What do I do without my playlists, without my podcasts, or without my texts? It's like, yes, that's the point. What do you do when those things aren't there? Oh, I say walking, not running. Some of you can run too, and that's great. Uh, but many people, when they run, they're also gasping for breath. And then you can be aware of your neediness for God that way too, I guess, that you're gasping for air and you need Jesus like that. Uh, but it's a different level of heart rate and attention given. And so I would recommend, if you don't do this, to... Take a walk a day to be with Jesus. See what he draws to mind and pay attention to that. He doesn't need you to bring up things to him per se, but you can just pay attention to what he's doing and brings to your mind. And that's a tactile way that you can go and start to practice being in the presence of God simply by walking. I think it's important for us to recognize too, because sometimes with practices, they can seem boring, right? Like, all right, I do that, I did that, now I'm done. Like, this is boring. Uh, recognize just something I found that one, uh, there's upstream practices which are difficult. So think of like a salmon swimming upstream. It's really difficult to get upstream, but they do it. Uh, or swimming against a current is really difficult, but you can do it. And so there's some practices that are like that, that are training for you. They take effort, but you can still do them and they have a benefit. And there'll also be other ones that are more downstream practices. So think lazy river, where you don't have to do anything but be present in the river and you get carried along and you can enjoy it. And there are practices like that that, that get you in the current of God's grace that aren't as much work for you. 
I don't know what they are for each and every individual. That's why experimenting with some of these can be really helpful. But please hear this. Wherever you're at in your maturity or your relationship with Jesus, that is good. And there is also room to grow. None of us have filled up the capacity of what it looks like. And from here on out, it's monotony. Remember that we are not in a checklist of I've done these things, then I've arrived, but it's a relationship. Uh, no good relationship, right? No good relationship, friendship or marriage will ever say, that's it. All right, we're good. We did it. We checked all the things. We went to the, we went to the sports game. We drank the things. We ate the things. We parked the car. Now we came home. Now we're friends and it's on lock. I don't have to do anything else with this. Or uh, we went to the movies, we ate the popcorn, we drank the drink, we saw the movie, and now we're good, like relationship done. Or terrible if you do it in your marriage, right? I'm married, we've been married for a certain number of years, over 15, what's the number? 17? I don't have to know, we made a deal in our marriage. I would remember the day, not how many years it's been. And so March 24th, I have that on lock. Uh, I have to ask for some help when it comes to how many years that was. How many March 24ths it's been. But what would you say if I was talking to you? I'm like, yeah, our marriage, like, we're good. We're done. Like, we've made it. Yo, you guys are breaking up, getting a divorce? Oh, absolutely not. We've just done all the relational things we could do. And so now we're, we're just kind of done. So I'm 41, about to be 42. Uh, uh, we've been married for 17 years, and we're just kind of there. We've arrived. We've, we did the dates. We did the things. We're good. You'd be like, I think you might have missed the point of this. I think somewhere along the way, right, Kevin, and hopefully you'd have the confidence, like Steph said, to be able to say, hey, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think that's right. I feel like in relationship with another human, there's always more to learn, always more to experience, always more to joy, enjoy. How much more with the God, the creator of the universe? Remember, that's what we're growing up in, is in a relationship with God that matures us as image bearers of his. That pool has no deep end at the bottom. It just keeps going. And we get to keep delving and swimming and enjoying the depths of it. And practices are simply a way for us to be able to be in that current. Those are some of the practices that have been really, really helpful. Uh, Sabbath, at the end of that, to take one day and rest and worship is essential in the life of following Jesus. If you're like, I don't have a full day, start smaller than that, but carve out some prolonged period of time to be present with Jesus and then prayerfully lean into how can I get more of it? And that would be my encouragement around that. As I'm talking about practices, we have a few minutes to, to gap in here. Is there something coming to your mind, a question, a comment, even something that you've experienced as life-giving that you want to share with everyone else? You're like, hey, here's what I found life-giving when it comes to practices. Um, one of the practices that we try to employ with our missional community is doing a 24-hour fast in advance of the mission or the meal together. And um, specifically purposefully praying that God would create a, the same hunger that we have um, would be stoked in the people that we're trying to minister to. And that has been one of the most formative experiences for me coming from a tradition where I didn't really do communal formation or really communal um, practices. Um, it's been one of the coolest things to witness both the hunger that I experienced, but also applying that and praying that God would make that manifest in the people that were uh, around. In that practice, in the hunger, 
um, like leading up to the mission, for example, or a meal together and just feeling really hungry. One of the questions I like to ask most, uh, especially in like contemplation or listening, is Jesus, if you were to walk into the room right now, what would you want to say to me? And just give space for silence for however long is appropriate. Since it's here, I'll just say something too. <laughs> I just have found it helpful, uh, kind of like what you were saying about going on a walk without your phone. I'll sometimes just try to intentionally, like when it's time to drive in the car, not listen to music, or <laughs> even just eating a meal with nothing else, like no music, no show, just like sitting there eating your food is, for me, extremely difficult, but it's a good time. I've noticed as I do that practice that I just have more clarity and feel a little less like technology drunk throughout my day doing that. Next question, uh, what do you think keeps people from growing? And so I was going to, I actually did have a little outline with like all my little rants on this, but I'm going to read a Jesus story, uh, give it as an answer, make a few comments, but I think Jesus really pinpoints it. And let's go ahead and be honest, his story is probably better than mine. Uh, Jesus, in answering this question, uh, says, and again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. I'm in Mark 4. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that they got in a boat, sat on the lake, and while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Uh, all you winter grass people, you're going to be able to identify immediately with this story. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. You're like, wait, what's that mean? Jesus says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path when the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown on them. It's a true thing, but it's not near as probably pertinent for what. But the next two soils answer the question that was asked. Others, like seeds sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. So they start to grow. They germinate. The seed starts to produce a little bit of life. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. According to Jesus, what keeps people from growing? Uh, he says that we don't have a rooted faith. Like we hear the good news of the kingdom and we receive it with joy, but nothing begins to grow beneath the surface with that. We're just super stoked about it. So as soon as persecution or hard times come, especially because of what you believe, 
You bring up your newfound belief or what you conviction you now hold and others press against that, whether digitally or in person or at the Thanksgiving table. And you're like, never mind, I'm out, forget this. And he's like, those people aren't able to grow. Uh, the second group of people, I would say, the second, that third soil, the second that starts to grow is probably where we would do well to pay attention to our own hearts. If we're like, why aren't I growing? One, your growth may be slow and incremental and you'll see it in a year, but you don't see day by day. That could be taking place. Two, do this little test. He says, the deceitfulness of wealth. We can't pursue our own kingdoms and our own wealth as our top priority and also pursue the kingdom. You can only serve one of those two. One will choke the other out. Uh, he also said, what was the other thing? He said, the worries of this life. And that's a very broad category saying the general concerns of things that go towards every human begin to preoccupy you to the place where you don't consider how the kingdom gives a different view of life and you just go after what everyone else does. The, the common worries of this life consume you and you drift from standing under the story of God. And then he gives a drunk drawer term. He just uses this term that's like it could be anything else. The desires for other things. Basically, is there something that you want more than Jesus and his kingdom come? If so, that will choke out your spiritual growth. And if that's like, oh, dang. One, he says it so that we can turn from it. Two, there is a fruitful soil that bears the fruit that it was always intended, and we can be in that category as well. But the things that would prevent you from growth, I think that little list from Jesus might be good enough to ask who or what am I pursuing most? What matters deepest? What is the thing that I desire and don't think I can live without? What is it that I look at, and if I had it, it would complete me? And it might sound simple to say, but if it's not Jesus and his kingdom first, then that will slowly or quickly choke out the growth that you're experiencing because that and the kingdom of God don't compete side by side. One has to be over the other. But, Jesus says and shows in the rest of Mark, there is a way to live where we're under God's kingdom and the good news and are able to enjoy a full, flourishing, robust life with that kingdom and the king at the center. Another question that came through, what do we do with the disappointments and setbacks along the way? Anybody else feel this? Like, like, I mean, I've been following, if you haven't been following Jesus more than like 30 seconds, you've probably felt this. Like, what do I, I thought that I would be more mature. I thought I wouldn't still struggle with. I faced these disappointments. Uh, somebody else failed me. It wasn't even me, but it set me back now. I'm not even sure I can trust the church because of what this person did to me. And that's the community I'm supposed to be a part of. How do I deal with this? Setbacks and disappointments come in a myriad of ways. And so what do we do with those as we look to grow? I would say first, acknowledge them. Don't pretend that they're not there. Don't say if I really loved Jesus, trusted Jesus, I wouldn't feel sad about this. I wouldn't be disappointed about this. I'd be perfectly aligned in my desire with God's desire, and so I'd never be sad. Uh, if you look at Jesus and the way he lives in this world, he had disappointments. He had sadness. 
Yes, his setbacks were ultimately redeemed, and I believe yours are as well. But he still experienced the setbacks, right? He still had to experience Judas betraying him. He still had to walk through disciples who didn't get it. He still had to deal with parents not getting what his mission was. He still had to deal with society turning against him. He still had to live within the limitations of being fully God and fully man. So he got hungry, he got tired. And you recognize that in the midst of all of that, he's able to identify it and acknowledge it. And the longer you spend following Jesus, these do stack up. Things that you thought would be one way and they're not. Parts of your life you thought you'd be free from this, either it's addiction or programming or a pattern of behavior. And you're like, I still struggle with that. It's been 40 years. Yes, Jesus liberates some people like that. I've watched as he's liberated people from heroin addictions into freeness and fullness of life and sobriety, which is really abnormal. Most people go through decades and lifetimes of struggle after that point. So I've watched him fully liberate and I've watched it take time. But I would just encourage you, one, acknowledge it. Two, grieve those things deeply. You don't have to pretend as if you're not disappointed. You don't have to pretend as if you're not struggling or set back in the moments. And there's practices of life that help you do that. Uh, we do it on an annual basis where we'll literally uh, draw a line across a sheet of paper and put like 2023 on it. And what are the things, and we'll put above the line the things that we're celebrating and really glad and joyful and the victories and the new creation fruit we've seen this year. And then below the line, we'll put all the sadness and disappointments and lost relationships and the things that we're grieving. And it's just a helpful way to identify those things, to recognize that it's not all good and not all bad but then also it gives a, an ability to continue on as a disciple. When you recognize uh, and grieve well, you can go on with hope. When you don't grieve well, you will stay stuck in those moments. And I think there's something beautiful about the community of God that teaches us how to do both those, to go on with hope, but also recognize and grieve. So what do we do with those disappointments? Acknowledge them. Grieve them. Sometimes repent where needed. Not all setbacks are somebody else's fault right? Not all disappointments are somebody else's fault. We sin. We fall short. We participate in things that really make a mess. And so repent where needed. Uh, that will enable growth to happen again. Like through that process, we continue to grow up in Christ-likeness. And the last thing I would encourage you with in that is don't walk away. Don't walk away. And I know that's a draw when things are disappointing and they hurt. It's just to walk away and be done with it. But my encouragement is to stay walking with Jesus and his people through those things. There's a time in John that he records um, in 6 when Jesus gives a really hard teaching. Uh, he's got a full, he's got a good squad of people following him. All these disciples from all different backgrounds. Everybody's loving the miracles. They're loving the ministry. They're loving the free bread. And they, it's all, it's, it's good, right? They heard that he did the wine thing. They're probably really hoping that happens again. Like, can you imagine following Jesus and be like, is he gonna do that one again? Like, he just threw that whole party. When do we get to do the water and the wine thing? He's spending a lot of time around lakes. Maybe, just maybe, 
He'll be providing for us. So people follow him. They like all that stuff. And then he gives a really hard teaching, right, where he's uh, basically for the short story, he's like, hey, unless you, like, die to yourself and come with me, unless you uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood, participate in fully in my work, then you have no part in this. And people are like, yeah, I'm out. And, like, everybody peels off. That whole ministry that he had going on, everybody's like, I'm out. And he turns to his disciples. Uh, verse 66 says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They said, that's too much. That's not what I wanted. I thought you were saving us from the Romans and you're not doing that. You're disappointing me. Uh, and they left disillusioned. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, you do not want to leave me too, do you? And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, whom should we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Uh, to remember where else do we go for life. And sometimes it comes down to that simple fact. I don't know how to keep going, but I know you're the only one that can get me there, so I'll stay with you. And, and that's the last part. I'd just say acknowledge it, grieve it, repent where needed, but please don't turn away. Continue to press in. He is faithful, and he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. I'm gonna get moving. Um, two more to go. Uh, how do we decide where to put our time in growing? Uh, there's so many things that could get our attention and so many different ways to do it. My emotional health, my spiritual health, my physical health. Uh, I need to undo the damage done to me by my parents and the damage that I did in parenting. I've got to work through uh, the different pockets where I've created unhealthy rhythms through the first X amount of years of my life. And I also want to build out new healthy rhythms for the future. Uh, I don't even know about these spiritual practices and you just gave me 20. Uh, and then I'm also supposed to show up and do this thing. And how do I prioritize and how do I know where to lean into what God's up to? How do I know the order that God wants to deal with the messes in my life to set them straight. How do I do that? How do I know where to prioritize? And I'm going to give you the least satisfying, most satisfying answer. Um, one, take a deep breath. Two, start somewhere. Don't go into analysis paralysis. And be like, I'm not doing anything. But three, pray about it. See what Jesus speaks to you in community a lot of times we want to avoid the one thing that Jesus is bringing up, but when he brings it up to a few friends and us, it changes it a little bit. So I would just encourage you, if that's where you're at, there's like so many areas where I could grow. What do I do? Spend some time with Jesus. Go for that 10-minute walk. Ask him that question at the beginning, and then do your best to shut up for the next of the 10 minutes and see what he raises to your mind. And just see, like, hey, Jesus, what is it that you want to grow in me in this season? What are you trying to get my attention with? And then take a short 10-minute walk and see if he shows you something. And then report back to a few friends so that way you can't just hide in the murkiness of your own heart with it. And again, watch what he does. Simply slow down, pray, be attentive. And he does powerful things. Last question, what kind of environments do we need to keep Missio growing and not get stagnant? I love that question. Thank you for the uh, setup for what we're doing. So Instagram for the win on this one. I'm gonna walk through a few words that I think need to mark the environments because these are present in every environment that I've watched people flourish. 
when I was younger, uh, my dad had this little brown, but he was a landscaper, he had this little brown bottle uh, that smelled like, uh, I don't know, we always said it smelled like a retirement community's urinal. It was terrible. Like it was potent and it smelled heavily like urine. Like somebody took all their vitamins or asparagus and then like locked in a bottle, and it was in this bottle, this brown bottle. And the brown bottle had a label on the outside of it that was the most lame advertising ever. It was called Super Thrive. But when, if you want your flowers to look like Disney, you go on Amazon and you buy Super Thrive. And when you smell it, you will tell me exactly what I just described to you, I promise you. Uh, and so this brown bottle called Super Thrive, uh, I don't know fully what's in it, but I know if you put it on your flowers in the right ratio, they bloom like crazy and they look beautiful and they're robust and it's not just short term, but it leads to long term health of beautiful gardens. And so he had taken it out of a magazine that that's what Disney used and we used it on all of our like landscaping plants and people love that our plants look so much better than everyone else's and it literally, I'm telling you, 99% of that came down to whatever was in this bottle. Whatever that is, plants thrive with it. When I look at Christian communities, when these pockets are there, people thrive. Uh, the first thing being safety. When people know they're secure in Christ, secure with the Father, and secure with one another, they are able to grow in exponential forms. When there is safety present for you to not be okay, but be pursuing Christ, for you to not have it together, for you to mess up and not be canceled, people grow in exponential ways. When they're stretching, Safety came first, but then stretching. When there's environments that stretch us beyond our comfort zones, growth necessarily means you're going somewhere you weren't before. When environments are there that stretch us, that move us out on the mission of God together, that put us in places where we don't have the answers, but we have to rely on God and one another to get there, you will see growth take place as you have that safety and security, but experiencing stretching least popular but looking pretty on the board is suffering. Somehow, as we suffer, it is also very fertile soil for growth. And I don't say that lightly. But throughout the words of scripture and throughout my experience, as people are able to suffer and still stay faithful to Jesus, there is a depth of their experience that can't be mimicked when everything just goes well. Many of us who have walked through suffering with Jesus in the community, it is not pleasant, it is hard, it hurts. There's lots of tears, but there's also growth that takes place. So don't despise those moments either. Jesus is present in them. And then the last thing I'll say is that a grace-rich environment. So I said safety in the beginning, and for those of you that hate alliteration, the last one doesn't even have an S in it. So uh, grace-rich environments. We need environments that are rich in grace so that we can continue to grow. And where those things are, safety, stretching, suffering, and a massive amount of grace, we can watch growth begin to take place. And so would our MCs be places for that? And would our church be a place where each of us can experience that in the seasons we need?